Please be seated. And welcome. Good to see you guys. So there was a uh, BBC series made not long ago. It came from a novel written in 2004 by Susanna Clarke called Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. And Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell uh, is a fairy tale. It's about Yorkshire, England uh, in the 1800s where uh, magic once existed. There was once in, in this fictional world uh, working magic, but it had kind of faded from view. And the magicians that were operating at that time uh, of, of the writing of the novel um, could only sort of do magic scholarship. And so they would get together and do magic, but it was like the proper music, uh, magicians, they wouldn't actually practice magic. They would just talk about the finer points of, you know, of, of magic and how it actually worked and which spells did which thing. And they would just get together for these gentlemanly uh, gatherings. And then they had a magician come along that wanted to join their gathering and was like, all right, when are we going to practice magic? And, and then he was like, oh, wait a second, should have asked that question. Everyone kind of looked at him sort of embarrassed on his behalf, like, we don't actually believe in magic here. Uh, we just talk about magic. And then another man came along, and his name is Mr. Norrell. And Mr. Norrell um, actually decided that he was going to practice magic. And so he went around to all of the statues all over Yorkshire, and he enchanted them into life. And, and you know, in this fictional world, all these monuments came to life, all these statues came to life, and they started, they started singing, they started dancing, they started telling amazing stories about the people that they represented. And the magicians were sort of aghast, like, what? We didn't know that magic actually had power. They trusted their genteel scholarship and the power therein more than the actual power of magic itself. Now, uh, this is a, a great parable of the age we find ourselves in, the disenchanted age, where there was once a power that our, you know, people looked to the power of God to work in the world, to, to bring about beauty and justice and order, to help us fulfill the hardest parts of our calling. But we don't believe in that God anymore. We're just really good about talking about him, really good at categorizing him, really good at having conversations about the kind of God that we could believe in, but no longer conversant with the power that God actually has to give us, that he wants to fill us with. A lot of us are facing there's things in our life, things in our calling, whether it's a personal calling related to our relationships or family, or maybe it's a professional calling, the things that we are, uh, feel called to do with our life, but it seems impossible, or maybe it's something related to our hopes for the city, our hopes for justice, our hopes for renewal, and we're facing this sheer cliff of impossibility, and we're like, there's no, what power am I going to, is going to catapult me to, to accomplishing what I'm most called to accomplish? A lot of us are more like we look up at that cliff and we're much more like the magicians that got together and talked and they trusted a different power than we are like Mr. Norrell who actually operated in it. We trust the power of our own caffeinated selves more than we trust the power of God. We trust the power of, te of technique and technology more than we trust the power of God. We trust the power of organizing and politics more than we trust the power of God. We don't actually believe in it anymore in this disenchanted age. So what do we do? You know, this is a great story for us, this story of Exodus 3, because Moses did find himself disenchanted in the most full sense. He had done what he most wanted to do, which was carry out what was in his heart, which was the deliverance of his own people 
from slavery in Egypt. And it was the biggest burden on his heart. It was a personal calling and a professional calling rolled into one, and he couldn't do it. We looked last week at how he, he totally tried, and he had all the advantages, and he had, all the, he had all the privileges of being an Egyptian prince, and he really tried to use that, and he tried to use his anger, and he tried to use his passion, and it didn't work. It backfired. And so he found himself outca- an outcast. And as British uh, scholar Alec Mateer said, he had the stuffing beat out of him. He had the stuffing beat out of him, and the old bounce was gone from Moses, the old young Egyptian prince bounce where he was like, you know, going against the Egyptian overlords and killing them and burying them in the sand and trying to resolve fights between the Hebrews. All of that was just like, you know what? He's in Midian and he's no longer a prince. He's doing what Egyptians would never imagine themselves doing, which was a shepherd. They saw as like, that's the lowliest of the low kind of job. And not only that, he's an employee for his kind of no-name father-in-law, just out in the, in, in the mountains, caring for sheep. He's disenchanted, and he's pretty powerless. And yet, God's call in his life hasn't changed. God's call in his life was still the same, and so Moses would need to, this was the exact time for Moses to experience what all of us need to see, which is the actual power of God, so that Moses could, in the right way, traffic in that power, and work in that power, and submit to that power. He needed to experience it. He needed to see it. Because this was the power. Finally, this was the power. This was the supernatural, unseen, yet very real power that Moses would need to call upon and rely upon at every stage now that his calling is really going to start getting some traction. So we're going to see with Moses, there's four surprising dimensions of God's power that every one of us, through the power of prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, has available to us today. So let's look at uh, Exodus 3. You can turn there. And we're going to look first at the power of God's purity. The power of God's purity. God's purity is a dazzling, piercing, beautiful, and lethal force in the world. Now, up to this point, Moses had never felt that. He didn't really know God. He believed in a God. He believed in probably many gods, but he had not met this God, and it is only this God that has the purity of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a piercing purity, a beautiful purity, a purity that when you encounter it, it it, it, you are undone. You can only do what Moses did. What did Moses do? Let's see. Um, Exodus 3.1, you know, he's keeping the flock uh, of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, Um, He comes up to uh, Morab, the mountain of God. Uh, Verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire, a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush, it was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take the sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And we can imagine Moses taking a moment just to sit down and take off his sandals while God waits for him in silence, in holy silence, in weighty silence, 
Moses stands back up and God says to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. He was afraid to look at God because this was a lethal fire. God in his holiness cannot and does not abide sin approaching it and sinful people approaching him in a manner that, he, that is not sanctioned. There must be precautions taken. There must be a price that is paid in order to encounter and come near a pure and holy and living God. And Moses experienced what so many millions and billions would experience after this, which is a piercing of the heart, that I am not prepared to meet this God. I am not prepared to encounter this God who has no impurities, uh, who has no sin, who has no compromise. This is not like one of those diminished deities that requires a payment, one of those petty deities that just wants a little token that's trying to manipulate me. This is not a manipulative God. This is a holy God. This is a pure God, and that is part of the power of God. This is an important dimension that until Moses experienced it, he couldn't go forward in his calling. It's like God taking a light switch and going, see your sin? Only in the light of God's purity could Moses see his blind spots. This is the thing. If you and I are going to carry out our callings, there's a bunch of blind spots that you and I can't see right now. But don't you want to see those blind spots? I mean, don't, don't you kind of, I mean, we don't want it. But don't you want to be free of the selfishness that's in your heart right now? W- wouldn't you want to be free of the racism that's in your heart right now? Wouldn't you want to be free of the, of the laziness, of the false narratives that play in your head, of the, of the absolute greed that's in your heart? Don't you want to be free? Don't you want the Lord to point that out and for you to take the sandals off your feet and, and to, to, to bow the knee to the holiness of God, to the purity of God? You know what happened to Moses after he encountered this purity? It got inside of him. It didn't just pierce him. It got inside of him. And there was a point in time when he was giving the law to the Israelites after meeting with God on the mountain again. And his face was glowing. And the Israelites were afraid to look on his face. Now listen, it's not about the Israelites being afraid of him. Um, It's about the holiness of God giving him the resources he needed to carry out his calling. Don't you want those resources? Don't you want the purity of God to define you, to get inside of you, so that you in yourself can by by grace, can carry the weight of God's purity. This is part of God's power, and we all need it. It's available to all of us through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, through prayer. Ask for it today. God, reveal yourself in your holiness. Reveal yourself in your righteousness. Back in 1838, there was a, a battleship, an American battleship called USS North Carolina, and it was off the Atlantic, off, uh, rolling off the coast of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, out of the many uh, sailors on this ship, there's four sailors who, who followed Jesus as their Lord. And uh, they did not have an easy time in that ship. They were harassed. Uh, they were made fun of. And nevertheless, they, were, they, they had a compulsion uh, to, to stay true to Jesus Christ and carry out their work as sailors, carry out their calling right there on the ship. And uh, 
one night, they were really discouraged. They decided they would go down into the hull of the ship and pray, and they would just call on the name of the Lord. They were just moved to do that. And as they called on the name of the Lord, these four sailors, these four ordinary sinful people, called on the name of the Lord, they were compelled to begin praising the Lord. It just, the spirit moved and they started singing. And the other sailors heard them singing. They're like, oh boy, we're gonna go down there and we're gonna you know, make fun of them and give them a hard time and interrupt their, uh, their singing. And as the other sailors climbed down into the hull of the ship, they encountered by the spirit of God, God's purity. And they were cut to the heart. And they realized how sinful they were. They realized how selfish they were. And, uh, and they started crying out, what shall we do to be saved? What, what, what's supposed to happen? They, they encountered God. He just revealed himself to them in his purity. By the time the ship came to shore, most of the sailors had converted to Jesus Christ because they were so undone by the holiness of God. This is a call for all of us. We might experience it. We probably will experience it in a much less dramatic way. But if you want to move out of disenchantment, it begins with God's holiness. It begins with God's purity. It did so for Moses, and it does so for us as well. So God gives us his purity, but he also showed Moses something else. And get ready for some alliteration, friends. God showed Moses the power of his proximity the power of his proximity. Now, with purity, the call is don't get too close. With proximity, the call in Moses is don't go too far. Verse seven, the Lord said to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Now, hear this, hear this from a breaking heart. I have surely seen the affliction of my people. God is watching his people. He's among his people that have been crying out to him. And he's watching it. He's looking. He's, there's not one bit of suffering that he doesn't notice. Um, uh, they're crying out because they're in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. He's listening with his ears. And then he says, I know their sufferings. I know their sufferings. Not I know because I've read about it on Wikipedia. I know their sufferings. No, I know their sufferings. I've been walking in their presence. I live in their neighborhood kind of knowledge. And verse 8, and I have come down. This is, a, this is language of proximity. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land. There's tender love and grace coming from that fire. Can you hear it? God says, I've seen, I've heard, I know, and I have come down. This is the kind of God, this is part of God's power, is that he's proximate. What good would it be if God was pure, but he couldn't make himself known? God is making himself known. God is coming down so that he can bring the people of Israel up. God's been listening. You know, maybe he's listening to the cry of a mother who's like, oh, Lord, help me. I've got a 14-year-old son, and he's a slave, and there's lash marks on his back. And I have a daughter who's 12, and she's getting harassed every day in cruel and vile ways. Help and deliver her. I can't stand up to her without dying. I need you to stand up for her. I've got a malnourished baby, Lord. I need you to, I need you to, to, to nourish this child, to, to, to provide. And the Lord is compassionately listening to her and listening to the million other prayers and cries because he's proximate. Now, as God was talking about how he would 
come down to deliver and he would, you know, get them out of Egypt into a good and broad land. You know, maybe Moses is having some flashbacks. Maybe all the old anxiety and all the old anger is coming back as Moses is like, oh yeah, I tried that once. Didn't go so well. Have you ever had that someone talk, starts talking and your, your most embarrassing moment gets kind of triggered and you're like, ah, you start to cringe. Maybe Moses is like, all right, well, good luck, Lord, because glad he's doing it. Not my problem anymore. I tried. Here I am in exile. Now, verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I will send you, dear Moses. No, 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 not me. Oh, yes, Moses, I'm sending you. And Moses is responding with some understandable humility. In um, verse 11, Moses said to God, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Israel out of Egypt? bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And God doesn't say, oh, Moses, you're a big boy. You got big muscles. Come on, you can do it. Just try the old ways again. You know, you've got that, the power of your anger and the power of everything you know about Egypt and the power of, you know, being a Hebrew yourself. Just, you know, just try a little harder. That's not what God says. It's not what God says. Verse 12, God said, but I will be with you, Moses. I will be with you. No, you're not enough for your calling. You're not, you're not enough to carry this out like it needs to be carried out. There's gonna need to be some miracles along the way, but Moses, I'm going with you every step of the way. From the moment that you come back to Egypt and talk with the elders that are real skeptical about you because you're, you know, you're an outcast uh, and you failed the first time, all the way when you walk with them into the demon-haunted, snakeville, uh, you know, palace of Pharaoh and look at a world superpower and tell him, let my people go. All the way to when you march through the Red Sea and up the mountain, I will be with you and I tell you, Moses, that you're going to worship God on this mountain. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. This is such a wonderful promise of God that he's proximate. He's proximate with the people that he calls. This is part of his power is that he's with us God, God is like, Moses, I, I'm going to be the power inside of you. I'm going to be the power with you. So let me, let, uh, let me fill you and let me follow you as you follow me. Now, all of us need this. All of us need this, especially when things get hard with our calling, especially when endurance is required and you can't see any result that you've been working for. You're in the dip of taking risks um, in your career or in your calling or in your family, and you're seeing pain, you're seeing disconnection, you're seeing weariness, what is that part of your calling right now that's starting to flag, where you're tempted to give up hope? Do you know that God is with you? That's part of his power. He's offering to be with you through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's part of his power. He was with Moses. He was with the people of Israel, and he is with us but how can purity and proximity go together? We need a very specific kind of God, and that is the third type of power that God shows, which is the power of God's personality. The power of his personality is seen in verse 13. 
Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? What shall I say to them? This is not unlike a teenage child asking mom and dad, hey, mom and dad, can I have your car keys? Moses wants to know, hey, Lord God, living God, can I know your name? It's like a teenager asking a parent, can I have your car keys? Can I have your credit card? When I come into the car and I sit in the driver's seat and the engine needs to be started, what shall I start it with, dear parents? Moses needs the power of God's name. We've, this is not part of our culture, but in Moses' culture, and as the Lord God revealed himself, there was power in God's name. God's name had power simply by saying it, simply by invoking it. In the name of the Lord, let my people go. When Moses stretched out his arms over the Red Sea and it parted, he was doing so in the name of the Lord, uh, his God, the Lord that revealed himself. Now, there's two parts to, to uh, the Lord's name here. There's the character of God's name, which was revealed in uh, uh, his name, I am that I am. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What does this mean, I am? I am is uh, the Hebrew verb of being. It is essentially, God is revealing himself as, I am the source of being. I am the uncaused cause. You know, this fire that you see, it's not consuming anything. It has a life of its own. It just burns. It doesn't have to consume the bush. It just is. I am isness, Moses. I am being. I am, um, I am power. As one commentator says, this is God revealing himself as bursting with super abundant vitality. Bursting with super abundant vitality. He doesn't grow tired. There's no caffeine high for God that then crashes. It's transcending the caffeine high. It's got super abundant vitality that is always there, that is always present. No matter how tired you are, Moses, I will be with you because I am who I am. And then there's the story of God's name. Um, Treebeard from Lord of the Rings, the written version, uh, says this. He says, my name is growing all the time. My name is like a story. My name is growing all the time. <laughs> My name is like a story. God says in verse 15, um, he says, uh, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Now, what in the world is this? This is the story, God's story. God worked with unpromising material. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, these guys are like boneheaded people, okay? And yet God's grace was so amazing and so, so rich and so good that he, in his grace, overcame them and worked with them and, in fact, partnered with these sinful men to accomplish and carry out his covenant. He called Abraham to a land that Abraham didn't know, and Abraham followed him. He saved Isaac from certain death, and then he wrestled all night with that schemer Jacob. He wrestled him all night just to bless him with a limp. And all of these men operated in the power of God by God's name. This is who God is. And that same God that led Abraham, Isaac, and Jake was going to lead Moses. That same God, that same story is going now to involve the people of Israel who are enslaved. And they're going to go from slaves to daughters and sons of God. This is who God is. This is part of his power. Can you hear God's invitation to Moses? 
Moses, I am bursting with super abundant vitality. I am the fire. I am the fire that will never go out. So you, you come be the bush. You bring your weaknesses. I won't consume you. I'll purify you. I'll fill you. You will deliver the people of Israel, but I will supply the fire. I will supply the life. I will supply the grace. I will supply everything that you need. He doesn't just give him purity. He doesn't just give him proximity. He gives him his personality, his name. I am who I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We need that too. We need God to show us his name. We need to operate in that name. We need to pray in the name of Jesus, no matter what our vocation is, no matter what our uh, personal situation is or our family situation is, whatever it takes for us to climb the sheer cliff of our calling, we need to call upon the name of Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of I am who I am. And then finally, we need God's promises. We need God's promises. Verse 16, uh, God gives promises to Moses that he's going to need to hang on to every step of the way. God tells him, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers... God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to a good and broad land. Verse 18, he says, you know, these elders, they're skeptical. They will listen to your voice. They will listen to your voice. And then verse 19, Pharaoh will let you go. These are impossible promises, but God says to him in verse 21, you shall not go home empty-handed. All that economic injustice from the, from the centuries of slavery, I'm going to rectify that. They're going to give you the gold and silver um, that they took from you. Through your possessions and your labor, you'll, you'll get it back. He's promising incredible things. And you can imagine that as Moses follows God and, and operates in this power, that he's every step of the way needing to hold on to these promises. You know, maybe Moses memorized these promises, Maybe he's like, I, will, I promise that I will bring you up out of Egypt. Moses is memorizing what God said, and he's not only saying it to the elders of Israel, he's saying it to himself. He's preaching the gospel to his own heart. And he's saying, God promised me these things, and God will not let me down. God will not go back on his word, because that is the nature of who God is. We need God's promises as well. We need to memorize them. We need to find out the promises that are going to carry us through the dip and get us over the sheer cliff of wall. We need the promises of God that are going to help us endure and help us fight in any ways that we need to. We need God's promises. You and I, we're human beings in a fallen world, and we're going to suffer. And it's going to seem sometimes that God doesn't exist at all. And all the forms of God's power that we've heard about from days of yore are not in operation anymore. We're just gonna think to ourselves, it's gonna seem true that God is not real and that God is not powerful. And in those moments, when we're suffering and when we're disenchanted and we feel far from God and we feel numb, the one thing that's gonna connect us with the, promises, with the power of God is his promises. We're gonna need to hear in our own memory, Isaiah 43, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the flames, they'll not overwhelm you. Do not fear. I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. For I am the Lord your God. I'm the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. We're going to need to remember these promises. 
A friend of mine told me this week, he said, one of the promises I need to remember most is that God has forgiven my sin. You know, it's easy for him to, 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 th- to think that God hasn't forgiven his sin, but God promised to forgive his sin. And he's got to remind himself of that all the time. You and I are going to have moments where the promises of God are going to be like a staff in our hand. So find a promise from God. Find it in Exodus. Find it in Psalms. Find it in any scripture that you read and memorize it and hang on to it. There was a man who did this. He was a skeptic. He was a, he was a, um, uh, a, a scientist, an inventor in France. His sister was uh, really sort of uh, beginning to follow Christ. He was skeptical of that. Um, but over time, the Lord began to move in his heart, and he had a moment, like Moses did, of conversion where the living God met him in every dimension of power that's depicted here in Exodus 3. And it was like two hours where the living God was just fully present to him. And he wrote down um, kind of uh, hastily his testimony of this. He wrote, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and the learned, and he was very learned, certitude, certitude, feeling, Joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Joy, 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 tears of joy. Jesus Christ, let me never be separated from him. And Blaise Pascal took his testimony from the living God meeting him, and he sewed it into his, into his coat. And then he put his coat on, and he went out into 17th century France, and he continued his work as, as an inventor, as a theorist, as a public transit planner. And the living God and his power met him from that day until the age of 39 when he died of a life-threatening illness. And they found this testimony in his coat. You know, you and I are like Blaise Pascal. We are called to do things that are hard, that are difficult in our personal life, in our professional life, and everywhere in between. And we need the living God to meet us in our disenchantment, to meet us in our skepticism. We need to encounter him in Jesus Christ, in his purity, in his promises, in his proximity, in his personality, every single dimension, whether it starts with a P or not. Let us, uh, where we're surprised by his power. Will we bend the knee to his power? Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer because this text wouldn't have happened if the people of God were not crying out in united and persistent prayer to the living God. Wherever it is that you need the power of God to show up, I wanna give you an experiment today to begin to pray for God to show you his power and he will do it. This is the God of I am who I am. He has unlimited power. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Surely he can show you grace. Surely he can show you love. Surely he can help you through whatever trial you're facing right now. This God loves you, he cares about you, and he has all the power you need to move from disenchantment to living faith. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.